Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, we've got my panel, the anthropologist and author Mariano Hotta, and the political commentator and consultant Alex Dean. Good evening Hello. to both of Hello. you. Hello. Um, and you know the drill by now, don't you, on Jubes & Co. It's not just about us three here, it's about you at home as well. I want all your thoughts on all the stories tonight. If you've just joined us and you're thinking to yourself, what's she going to be talking about tonight? The suspense. Well, the suspense is over, I'll tell you. Um, we're going to be talking about Linton on News, uh, plans there to house all the asylum seekers apparently scrapped. Uh, is that the right decision or not? Uh, and if not Linton on News, well, where then? What should the process be when deciding where to put these people? Uh, also, the word women, that old controversial W word, apparently you can hardly even use it these days. We'll be talking about that. And Margaret Thatcher coming up in just a second. I'm asking you, um, do you think we're obsessing a little bit with Margaret Thatcher when it comes to the, the leadership candidates? You can get in touch with me on your thoughts on all those stories. GBviews at gbnews.uk is the email address. So you can tweet me at GB News or at Michelle Jubes. Don't forget, if you haven't already, uh, you can also subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Uh, and you can listen to us on the radio on DAB+. So wherever you're watching or listening tonight, welcome. You are indeed very, very welcome. Lots of you have been in touch already about some of these stories. Uh, Nigel, sorry, Neil says that there will never be another Mrs. Thatcher. I don't believe the country has the taste for hard right politics anymore. Nigel says Thatcherism was a disaster, the worst of times, he says. And if it comes back, we're all doomed to a police state. And poverty, John says. Thatcher, the milk snatcher, is the reason that we're all in trouble now. She sold off all our utilities and our major industries for her friends in the city. Oh, you're a harsh bunch, aren't you? Uh, keep your thoughts coming in. I'll return to some of them in just a second. Um, in fact, actually, I'll go straight to you, Alex Deaton, because... You know, it's almost, when we're looking at the two um, candidates, uh, Truss and Sunak, the word Thatcher never seems to be that uh, far away. I've seen so many comparisons, whether it's what Liz Truss is wearing today, sure. this bow, this hat, all the rest of it. Uh, do you think people should be trying to emulate Margaret Thatcher? In some ways, I think it's inevitable. This is the first generation of leadership candidates who grew up as children in the Thatcher era. You know, people used to say that policemen are getting younger. I think there's what alcoholics call a moment of clarity when you realise you're older than the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Which what happened to me. I'm a year older than Richie... Well, same year, but a bit older than Richie Sunak. Um, Margaret Thatcher, our most successful Prime Minister, certainly since the post-war, not a universally held view, but one very much held by the members of the Conservative Party, which is the current electorate faced by these candidates. So if that's the race that you're facing, seeking to align yourself with her legacy is unambiguously the smart thing to do. I'll just make one point, I think, about why it might be good for the country too. A couple of the front pages today, <coughs> it's one of the candidates, Liz Truss, talking about how confident and optimistic she is about this country's future. That's something that Margaret Thatcher did stand for. And contrary to the views expressed by uh, your viewers uh, writing into you, it's something I um, very much agree with. When she came to power, we were the sick man of Europe. When she left power, we were not. Yeah, but it would be an odd strategy, though, for either of the candidates to be talking about, oh, you know, this country is... 
um, I, know, I nearly swore there and then I stopped myself. It would be a strange strategy to say that this country is in stuffed. Trouble. Yeah. Well, it's, that's worked for Donald Trump. Now, admittedly, he was running against someone from the opposite party mm. rather than running to inherit a, a position from within his own party. But that was unambiguously the position taken by the last person to win a, a kind of contest on the right outside of, of the UK and the Anglosphere and so forth. Donald Trump ran on the basis that America was your word that you won't say. Yeah, but also, I mean, it's a tough one because, um, Marianne, the situation is I hear uh, Truss and I hear Sunak and they're talking about I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'll do the other. Sometimes I do feel like tapping them on the old shoulder and saying, eh, excuse me, mate, bit ox, but you guys have been in power now for quite some time. So all of these great new endeavours and bold new strategies and all the rest of it, if they were indeed the answers, why didn't you kick them in? A while ago. Well, I think that is fundamentally a, a, a very, very valid question. And, and you see them convoluting, tying themselves in knots, trying to justify, for example, Rishi Sunak, trying to justify his, um, his, his kind of uh, record in office and then saying, but I'm going to do things differently. And obviously I had to um, make compromise with, with Boris Johnson, who wanted to pull in a different direction. Now that I could be leader, we do this, this and this. And he... I think, is suffering from the fact that he is seen as a vote for continuity. Mm. Liz Truss offers for the voting members of the Conservative Party a change. Um, I think the more radical potential candidates, Kemi Badenoch, uh, Penny Morden, have, you know, are no longer in the race. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because... The Conservative Party have been in, in, in majority power since 2010. They've had a long time to sort things out. You know, they can't kind of hold up the little piece of paper that Labour left saying, sorry, the money's all run out. Majority they have no excuse. Power, power since 2010, majority power since 2015. And some Tories would say the coalition kind of doesn't count because you were in... You were in coalition power Labour. definitely but counts I, 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 because I, I the Liberal Democrats were the I'm little brothers. I was just yeah. quibbling over... over OK, the fine. Sorry, thank you for but, correcting me. No, not at all. It's very mansplaining, I'm sure I'll be told. Uh, but I'll tell you <laughs> what, uh, and probably deserve it as well. Um, what, one thing I do think about what you've just said, though, I know that the shtick with these things is one person of the left, one person of the right. I think what you said about Sunak is, is basically right. It, the, the argument about the economy has put him in a real bind. Yeah. If he says, everything's terrible, I'm going to do things radically, people will say, but you were the Chancellor when all yeah. this stuff happened. And if he says... Basically, carry on, everything's fine, steady as she goes. Most people will, will say, well, probably it's not all fine. Mm. So he's in a very difficult spot. But I thought that he had a, a coherent position about... Uh, sound money and restoring things. And, and, you know, that Boris Johnson was, was just a bit, a bit spendthrift. But actually, it, I'm going to get us back onto an even keel and I believe in sound money. But then he U-turned on tax cuts. Um, so actually, I, that was where I thought he was you know, going to lose anyway, I think. But that's where I think he was going to make some success. And he's abandoned that too. Weirdly, I think the thing that actually makes him most like Margaret Thatcher is to some extent, the outcome of the regard for the common person on the street, you know, your average man on the street who's going, I cannot pay a £4,000 energy bill in January. Yeah. Margaret Thatcher just didn't care. She was like, let the coal miners die of starvation or, or hypothermia, let them go. You know, it's more important to crush them and then rebuild no, from there. She was trying to crush the unions, not the individual people. And well, the thing is, there was... Work. It was but the there was a... There was, there's, there's an inevitable and foreseeable consequence to crushing the unions and allowing people to starve on, 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 on picket lines, which is that millions of people, or closing the coal mines, millions of people lose their jobs. You'd rather people were mining coal? 
No, that's not what I'm saying. Just, what I'm just... saying is that the regard for what is the social consequence of this economic or political policy that I want to enact. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the point where I see a comparison that holds some water with Rishi try, Sunak, try who's saying, we have to do these economic sums, it's going to be tight, guys, strap in, you might not be able to buy another, you know, Ferrari, and it's a, it's a sort of... It's a short-sightedness. It's, it's a lack of ability to see the really, really, really tough decisions that people who are not millionaires are going to have to be making. I know that this was... To the point where they, they are not going to be OK. You Alex? may not have been where you expected us to go, but you've invited us to debate Thatcherism, so we're on the kind of history, and I'm on with an anthropologist. If you talk to people from that era, uh, and they will say that the destruction of a community, the mine, the pit was the centre of it, so do you want your kid to be down the pit today? Would that be a great future? The answer would universally be no. no so are you suggesting people should be coal mining in the UK on a mass scale? No, I'm not. But I'm saying that if you are going to enact a policy that delivers radical traumatic dislocation to whole communities, you need to help support a transition to something different, to something better, to something else, rather than just go, well, I'm going to rip the heart of that community and then leave you to a it. Fair, because a, a free market, a labour a labor market, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the, 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 the cream will float, the dross will sink, and that's how it works. Marianne, and a, I don't think that's fair. A, a, that is a fair argument about the blunt tools that get used in those, uh, in those debates. And indeed, on the miners' side, uh, they were seeking to hold the United Kingdom to ransom and saying, you need this energy and we can and hold things up by going on strike. Ted Heath went to the country saying, who runs this country? To which the electorate's answer was, not you. Clearly the, min <laughs> the miners have got you banged to rights. Fast forward to Margaret Thatcher, who, whatever you think of her, majority of the country then returns her again and again, and she won a significant majority, in part... No, yeah, there are other, other factors, obviously, the Falklands not least, but in part because she took on the miners and where Heath failed, she won. And if there's any comparisons uh, today, because obviously we've got a lot of union action today, we've got a lot of strikes uh, happened, happening and planned. Do you think there's any comparisons there with the scale and power and might of the unions I, now? I, I do, and I think that one of the questions, it may be under-discussed, but I think one of the questions that will be running through the Tory party's membership in the course of casting their ballots in this contest is who is going to be better to deal with this rising level of union activism and agitation? Um, I, I know my view on that, but people will have their own uh, perspectives. I do think it's one that's not being discussed enough. I do think there is a relevant... I mean, it's not as far gone as the minor strike, but I do think there are... You know, the level of union activity we're seeing now, there is a parallel. I've got to say as well, you guys um, at home are writing in your thoughts about Margaret Thatcher specifically, and there's a real divide there. Um, so many, I mean, there's some of you that really are uh, backing Thatcher. Some of you are very... Um, Almost hateful, I guess, uh, and quite quite energetic in your words for her. There, um, I'm trying to. It's tea time, after all. Um, what do you think about? Because I tell you, one of the things that I'm uncomfortable with about this leadership uh, race is the time frame of it. I think we're in a scenario where you know the, what, the the UK is really not faring well at the moment. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. And I would have had a lot of respect um, for whichever leader had come forward and said, you know what. We're not going to continue with our summer break. We're not going to give all of these members uh, six or so weeks to pontificate who they're like. We're not going to go around in circles on these hustings, basically uh, saying similar things. We're going to cut the process down. This is who we are. Get on with it. 
cut um, uh, recess down and we're going to get straight into it in the uh, second week of August. Well, that could have been for the Conservative Party to decide. That could have been Correct. for Boris Johnson to say. No, I, for the I, 1922 I, committee. Well, yes, but if he'd gone to them and said, look, the, the right thing to do on, for the country is to not be, you know, uh, the, the, the captain of a zombie ship, go on holiday, have a, a wedding party, you know, I don't know, do his nails, whatever he's doing. He doesn't give a monkeys. He's certainly not running the country. I don't agree country. with that part. I agree that we should have a, a new leadership in place much far sooner than well, the process gives us. Exactly. And I think the thing is, there's, there's, a, there's a leisureliness of these politicians and the way these decisions are being made that I think you've absolutely put um, you know, your, your finger on the money there, Michelle. They just don't appreciate how worried people are, how anxious people are. I mean, in that little clip um, from Liz Truss, she's saying, well, we'll see how things are in the autumn. And that's not rapid enough. No, on your question, we need people to, sorry, to lead. We uh, need our leaders to lead uh, and they're not. Do they're, you think we should have condensed the time frame? I do. I, I do. And I might feel different if I thought people were genuinely on the fence and seeking to have the series of debates in which they were looking at these candidates closely to make up their minds. That will be a certain proportion of this electorate, but it's going to be very small. My frank view is most people have made up their minds about these candidates. They've been around for a long time. Marianne was very generous in some ways in describing Liz Truss as the candidate of change. She happens to be the candidate I support, but she's been in cabinet a lot longer than Rishi Sunak, right? These people have been frontline politicians for a very long time. If it were, for example, Kemi Badenoch in the final two, you might see an argument for having a process in which you can genuinely evaluate a candidate, including how they deal with the stress of being in the public eye. Actually, these two people have been round the block enough. We can make up our minds. We've got, we've, we, for better or for worse, whatever you think of them, we've seen enough to make up our perspective. And I think that's pretty much the firm view on either side in the Tory party about these candidates. Is there, is there an opportunity, though, to um, fast-track the process? Or is no, it no, done no, that no, 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 too much? It's, it's too late now. <coughs> you, can't, you can't send out ballots. You can't say what the timetable is in a contest and then short-circuit it. The time would have been uh, before. I just I don't know what I they were thinking. I don't know why people sat there and thought, I know, well, I do know why, actually, because everyone wants the summer holidays. But I just think to sit there and go, oh, yes, look at this timetable, because I can't remember if it's... Well, the, well, that's, I the think... current, that's the currently constituted timetable that's set out. So that's the, what, the timetable that Ian Duncan Smith emerged successfully from. It's the timetable David Cameron emerged But some might from. say that we're in a period of crisis. And actually, I can't remember if it's the 2017 election or the 2019 election. It was one of the two, because I ran in birth, and one of them, uh, it was only about a six-week window that you Look, had, and that was a general I, election. I get it, I get it, and I agree. And it's sort of to my point. I think people have made up their minds about this stuff already. You don't need this time. The, 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 the presumption is you need to have an opportunity for the people to go around the country and see the candidates, you know, see them in the flesh and so forth. Actually, I just don't really think it's necessary now. I'm not having a go at those who've overseen the machinery of this process. They had rules that were set for them and they've implemented them. But you should have changed the rules. Definitely. Yeah, they should have changed the rules. I think the, the, there'll be two outcomes um, from this. One is that people will get people who aren't members of the Conservative Party and are voting will just get increasingly anxious. The UK economy will suffer a few points more than it possibly needed to. And I think... I do wonder if there will be some legacy of, of harm to the Conservative Party overall because, because of the laissez-faire nature, because there's now three more weeks of blue-on-blue -blue fighting and, well, and people lining up behind their, their kind of chosen you know, candidate. So 
I agree with that. Don't push the two Rowing things together. Arrows. I don't agree with the point about laissez-faire because, as, as I say, I think there's an, a mentality, with which I disagree, but the mentality that you have to have give voters an opportunity to go and see the candidates and so forth. I think it's quite an old-fashioned perspective in the modern world, but that's that's the point. The, the blue-on-blue point you make is unambiguously right. Yeah. Right now, the party is rehearsing attack lines for the Labour Party to use on billboards at the next election. For sure. I think the one thing about um, your former point, Alex, about the, the laissez-faire attitude is if there were an incumbent leader who was leading, it wouldn't be such a concern that either Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss would, would take control in, in uh, at the start of September. The feeling is that there's nobody at the helm at the moment. We still have a Prime Minister, you just don't like him. Well, we have a Prime Minister, but what is he doing? If you look at the, 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 the final few weeks of David Cameron's government, if you look at the final few weeks of Mar- um, Theresa, May. Theresa May's government... They were doing a lot of stuff. They were going, this is my last chance to get stuff done that I really care about, that I feel passionately about, that I want this to be my legacy. What's Boris Johnson doing? He's lining up his his corporate gigs. I have to say, I mean, you guys are commenting thick and fast um, specifically about Margaret Thatcher. Uh, There's a word beginning with B that is coming... Yeah, not as complimentary uh. as that, and not linked to geography either that's coming through. Uh, a lot of people don't like Margaret Thatcher, I have to say. Brilliant. Um, oh, definitely Who's this? Not. Al. Al says... Bullish. Beautiful. Al says, all these people that keep Shouldn't calling... Matter. All these people... I'll tell you what it is in the brain. Okay. Just yeah, in case yeah, it's... There's, there's kids, out, yeah. yeah, there's kids watching and I uh, don't want to corrupt their innocent minds. Um, right, Al says, Michelle, all these people that say Margaret Thatcher was the uh, milk snatcher are absolutely wrong. It's not true in capital letters, he writes. Uh, she was the only voice in Cabinet opposed to stopping milk in schools. Is that true? I think so, but in the end, if you're the Education Secretary and it happens whilst you're the Education Secretary, that's what you, people are going to associate with you. Uh, Patricia... Oh, sorry, go on, Patricia. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, Patricia. Patricia speaks. She says it's the media that's doing on the comparing uh, of Margaret Thatcher to Liz Truss, and it's wrong. Steve says, please, can you remind your guests, before the miners' strikes, we had candles for when there were power cuts for three days. Can you imagine that now? Neil says, I think Rishi Sunak reminds me of Tony Blair. He's nothing like Margaret Thatcher. Kevin says, Michelle, can I ask why it's acceptable for the media to refer to Rishi Sunak as Dishy Rishi? the media would never get away with referring to a female candidate like that. They would be uproar. I've got to say, Kevin, I don't think I've ever in my life referred to uh, <laughs> Rishi Sunak as Dishy Rishi. But people do, though, so I see your point. Um, lots of people saying doomed again if we return to Thatcherism. John says, uh, don't forget, uh, when the blessed Margaret was asked to name her greatest achievement, she replied... New Labour. It's never gone away, Michelle. Ray says, who cares? This is all a drawn-out waste of time. Get on with running the country. We're in a mess. I mean, we agree with you there in terms of the time frame. Um, Michael said, I thought Margaret Thatcher was a very courageous person. I thought her downfall uh, started when she experimented with poll tax in Scotland. Uh, lots and lots and lots of you writing in saying that uh, Margaret Thatcher would never have allowed uh, the situation in the channel that she apparently would have been right across it, sorting it out. Hello there. Welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubery. Keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, my panel, the anthropologist and the author, Mariano Hotter, is alongside political commentator and consultant Alex Dean. Lots of you uh, still writing in about Margaret Thatcher. People are saying things like, um, it was Labour that closed uh, a lot more of the mines than Margaret Thatcher did herself. Um, many of you actually saying... Um, 
that she, you wish that she was still around and that she would have sorted this country right out. Uh, there you go. Lots of divided opinion on Margaret Thatcher. Uh, was she a positive influence on this country or not? And uh, is that what we need now, really, in a Margaret Thatcher 2.0 to take the country forward and sort some of the problems out? You tell me, gbviews at gbnews.uk. I'll read some more of those out before the end of the show. Now, uh, get sat down comfortably. Brace yourself. If I had a trigger warning, I would flash it up because that's what you seem to be able to have to do these days. Uh, when you want to be controversial, and by being controversial, I mean talking about the word woman. Now, some of you at home will be groaning, going, oh, why is she talking about this? What a boring subject. Um, I actually think it's a very important subject, actually, because it was revealed today that another NHS website, uh, this time part funded by the Welsh Government, has left out the terms women and girls uh, from its guidance on periods. Instead, it's been re uh, replaced by phrases such as people who bleed and talking about half the population having periods, etc. Uh, critics have complained that the language is confusing and that it could complicate health messaging for vulnerable girls. I just personally think it's all pathetic. Um, Marianne, it, for me, this is not necessarily just about this one particular website that's talking about people that bleed. To me, this is about a subtle, ever so subtle, ever so gradual, inch by inch, careful so no one notices approach to almost not mentioning women. And it makes me, um, I don't want to say offended, because I'm not one of these uh, snowflakes that gets offended by everything, but it, it's something that sits very uncomfortably with me. Where do you stand on it? I don't know why it makes you uncomfortable to expand communications to make them clearer and more inclusive of people that they are relevant to. It doesn't erase women. It doesn't mean that most women do or don't have periods. There are some women who don't bleed. That doesn't make them less of a woman. But the people who don't identify as a girl or as a woman, who have, perhaps have absolutely no interest in trans rights, in the debate, in exploring non-binary genders, they might just have medical conditions such that they have an anatomy that isn't the typical uh, biological anatomy, and they are identified men who have periods. That happens. And what? if there is what information I find all of that this. is accessible to people who they don't feel shamed, they don't feel belittled, they don't feel excluded, and they can access that information, then that's a good thing. If, and that you're not saying to women, you're not really a woman if you don't bleed. I think Make that information accessible. We don't need to make it into a culture war. But if, if you don't bleed, by bleeding, we're talking about having periods. I'm not talking about falling over, quitting your hand. We're talking yes. about <laughs> having a period. Um, if you don't have a period, you're probably not going to be reading guidance on periods. So that part for me, you lose me on that. I don't know when we're talking about not offending people. To me, it's very simple. Your biology is your biology. If you want to create this new catch-all phrase, women plus whatever it is that you want to say to make sure that no one else gets hurt over there, whatever. To me, what's happened, and I'll bring you in, Alex, as well, for your thoughts, it's almost like women is the word that dare not be mentioned in yeah. case someone gets called a bigoted or a transverb or that stupid word turf or whatever the latest thing is today. I don't think it has to, though. That's the thing. We're... Why are people saying we, uh, people that bleed then? 
because that's the most encompassing, inclusive term. That doesn't exclude women. It just includes other people who don't identify as women who also have periods. Alex. There aren't many of them, but they shouldn't be well, excluded. That's, that's, I think you've struck on part of the point. Can I start by saying how much I admire Marianne for coming on a channel where the, the viewership is almost universally going to disagree with what she said and say and take your position and to, and to say it frankly, and I, I respect that. Um, that said, for me, I think that since the dawn of recorded time, women have been, to one extent or another, and things have got better and worse, persecuted and less than in human society. And just when, and I'm not pretending things are equal yet, but just when equality might be argued to be in glimpsing distance, ta-da, the rug is pulled out from under you. Now, any man can say he's a woman. I'm in your sports, I'm in your changing room. There's no real such thing as a, a woman anymore. Well, it sounds rather a lot like the patriarchy to me. Oh, a woman, nice. Yes, well, you had your say and here's yeah, mine. Yeah, right? A woman is an adult human female. And the idea that people need this help when the, the, the vast amounts of effort society will spend on you and the vast amount of help you get if you're in a vanishingly small percentage of the population that's transitioning from one gender to another, with all the help that you will get, the idea you need this website that's you know, um, hived off from a bit of the Welsh government to tell you what a period is or not is ridiculous. It's meant to be giving guidance to women and girls. Women and girls should be receiving it. No. Let's be fair to the Welsh government, finally. It's not them who've done it. it it's some organisation. And for all we know, the Welsh government might... Like we should be so lucky, see uh, the light and disown them promptly. Why are you saying no? Well, because the information is for people who have periods. And by the way, I just want to be clear... So which like includes the, women the and four, girls. The, the, the vanishingly small percentage of the Welsh population receiving um, assistance to transition from, women, from female to male, that's your point, right? That group no, will need this website and therefore it should, the language on it should be distorted for the rest of the Welsh population. And I want to be absolutely clear, because someone's just written and said, why are you talking about periods when I'm eating my tea? <laughs> I mean, come on, uh, it's 20, it's That's 22. because half the population bleed. But and it, I want take. to make sure that I'm not being Biological specific. Biological females, yeah. Yeah, I'm not being specific about this website. I couldn't care less about this website, quite frankly. It's the more gradual kind of tiptoeing yeah. towards it's what insidious. I would say. Yeah, it's lunacy. It's... Sorry, but it is. It's chest feeding and it's it's just parent, you know, parents rather than mothers. And right. it is actually quite insulting to me anyway. It doesn't insult me at all. It makes me Brilliant. think that we are part of a culture that identifies... Um, opportunities where we can be more inclusive, fairer, clearer and kinder to one another and making efforts towards achieving that. So, But Alex can't ten, chest feed a child, can he? Years I, I ago. cannot chest no, he feed, can't. Nor, nor can I have a period because you need a uterus to have one. Yeah. It needs its lining to be parted and shed from the body via the vagina, which I don't have. Wow, what, what good facts. knowledge you have. It's, well, this is interesting. Right, it's, bi it's basic biology, right? And a man can't have a period even if he transitions later in life to become a woman. So the only group that is conceivably relevant here it is women who transition to be men and who apparently, oh no. my gosh, what's happened down here, right? Uh, oh my gosh, e even though I've gone through this process with, with advanced medical procedures, what I need to do to understand my body now, having gone through all the, the life searching that's required in that, is to go on a website and learn from the Welsh Government's proxy uh, what a period so is. so diminishing, Alex. No, it's not. It's beneath you. There are people who are not X, Y. Or that's X an even smaller X. group. If you, yeah, There's a smaller group, but why exclude? Disabled people aren't as numerous as people who are able-bodied. 
People who are gay or lesbians aren't as numerous as people who are heterosexuals. It doesn't mean we, we diminish them. It doesn't mean that we exclude those people because they're not the majority. That the isn't the basis of a kind and fair and just society. The distortion you would do to language following the logic of your position is, is such that most of us would, would sit shivering afraid to say a thing for no, fear of, of, I don't of think being you have to. to have said the wrong thing. Mm. And it's interesting to me, I thought some of the feminists commentating on this piece that the male has put out, uh, are, are right, that there's this kind of de-sexing of language happening, mm. specifically aimed at, at, at women. And I, th I think it was, uh, if it wasn't Jermaine Greer, I apologise to her, but I think it was Jermaine Greer who said the other day, you know, I spent all my life as a radical feminist railing against conservatives, <coughs> and railing against conservatives, and, and now I find, having gone the full circle, the only people on my side willing to say a man's a man, a woman's a woman, are the very conservatives I've, I've been fighting with. Well, I will say it. A man has a penis, a woman has a vagina. Can I make, uh, can I kind of ex extract this conversation to something that is perhaps a little less incendiary than the biological sex versus social gender conversation? As in, a man is a man if you've got a penis. Um, are we allowed to use that word? Whatever, just did. Of course you can. Okay. Um, you know, a moment ago you said, oh, we can't say mothers, we have to say parents. I think that's probably a conversation that is easier for us to get into a kind of a, a kind of civilised debate over. I had a conversation with uh, a man who is raising his kid and does a lot of hands-on childcare, and he said, God, I find it so hard to turn up to a mother and baby group with my kid because I am excluded because of what's on the poster. And I'm excluded because of the pictures and I'm excluded because I feel like this is a space for women. And I am there because of my child and I want to go zoom, zoom, zoom well, to the moon and I want why to think twinkle, dad and child group then? Because they don't exist and well, he doesn't want Of course they do. To, he doesn't want to be in a place where there are only dads. Oh, God, so he wants to be in a place. parent group then that's mixed. So call it a parent group. No, Why because it might be a mother's group. A mother and baby group. Because, because there might be scenarios, no. and I would, I was a, very so, recently a new mum, I might actually want to go to a mother and baby group. I might want to meet other mums. So, okay, okay, so I might this, want is a specific, yeah, this isn't a hypothetical, yeah. this is a yes. specific and person the, the who has your, specific experience. The corollary of your point is you, you, you're saying person X, effectively, you put it much more nicely than this, mm -hmm. but person X demands access to social space Y, right? And Michelle's response is, why should I be excluded from my preference for a single sex, inverted, trendy, trendy term now, safe okay. space? Why should my preference be excluded by your demand to be included? So, yes. the, the, the crucial thing, the crucial thing that makes your point valid but not relevant to this particular situation is because it wasn't supposed to be a women's only space where you could find access. I thought it was called a mother and baby group. It was because that was the default language. Because that is the language that has been used since 1952 when there was an absolute expectation across the so board. So why didn't he, why didn't he stay set at home up and look after the kids? Why didn't he set up a dad and uh, child group then? Because he wants to go and be a parent on a part with so why someone he who set has up breasts a and a vagina. Uh, who, who identifies as a woman, who wears a dress with flowers on it. He doesn't care. He cares about his child and he wants to have a community yes. with other people who are raising their the kids same, in his it, neighbourhood. It's the same, right? It's I want the language to, to be, that is divisive. I want to be different whilst not being called different. I want to be accepted in my difference and you're not allowed to notice it. No, he just wants to look after his kid and go to a playgroup and he doesn't like it. And I totally understand and I would feel equally uncomfortable if someone stood at the door of our community centre and went, 
oh, I don't know if I'm allowed here. But there are different you go, groups. Yes, you are but allowed there are different here. Come groups. and sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with us. If there of is, a, if there is a mum and child group, then it is mothers and children. If there is a dad and child group, it is dads and children. And then if there's a parents class, it's anyone and everyone off you go. In then you go. I think the default should be Call it a parents' class unless you want Why? it to be different. Who are you to dictate? So if I'm a mum, a new mum, and I might want to go to a group, and excuse me if you're all eating your tea, but I might want to talk to some of the physicalities uh, that's gone on with my body. I want to compare notes with some women. I don't want some random guy sitting in the corner. So who are you to tell Why me? Not? Because I don't want to, quite frankly. Well, that's if I fine. want to talk about my backside and my bits, I don't want some random guy in the corner listening in. Thank you very much. If you want to have a mixed group, no problem. Create a mixed group, attend a mixed group. Why should I make myself uncomfortable well, I'm saying, to allow this fella in if I don't want him there? I'm saying the default for a community group that's being set up should be welcome to anyone who is a parent of a child in that community. Says if, you, but if it's so a single-sex no, parent group... No, it's not a single-sex parent group. It was the default language yes, that was used because people were too lazy. The two of you are now arguing on tram lines because you're, saying, you're saying it's Group A and you're saying it's Group B. Because I'm describing and, a specific, not yeah, a hypothetical. And we're, we're trying to have a, a, a debate in which we can genuinely, meaningfully inter interact. I'm not yes. saying you weren't either, but I think we meant all three of us <laughs> are. But, I, look, I take Michelle's point entirely, and I, I dare say that as a uh, as someone who hopes one day to have children, that um, I, it's weird, because yeah, I accept the, the ability of women to have a single space and, and, to, and would respect it, and no offence, you, you don't. But, you know, I, I don't think I've got a right to insist on going and sitting next to, to young mothers as they talk about their pelvic floors and their ability to hold their pee in, and all the, you know, the things that come after having a, a child, right? And the idea that I just get to say, well, because my personal circumstances are as they are, I demand access to your space and get it, mm. it on your example. Hello there, welcome back to Jews & Co with me, Michelle Jubery, keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight. My panel, the anthropologist and author, Mariana Ohota, is keeping me company alongside the political commentator and consultant, Alex Dean. Mary and, I, and Mary and I were just saying, I was just saying to Mary, oh, thank good we didn't get onto the uh, conversation uh, about breastfeeding versus chest feeding. We started getting into it and then I realised <laughs> that actually it's a long uh, and quite a... You can spend all night uh, just debating that topic, but unfortunately, time will not allow us to. So we'll have to park our disagreements on chest feeding, breastfeeding, Finally. and all the rest of it for there for now. Uh, now let's talk instead, shall we? Linton on ooze because plans uh, to house hundreds of asylum seekers at a former RAF base there uh, in Yorkshire, of course, this is seem to have now been abandoned. Local campaigners uh, they've been out and they yeah, very vocal about this uh, since the plans were announced in April, saying that the introduction of what could have been up to 1,500 men to the base would have destroyed village life, and some were saying even possibly endanger local people. Right, uh, let's cut to the chase, uh, shall we, Marianne? If not Linton on news, then where? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, places where it's appropriate, where there are enough social services and supports, where there is um, a local community that will not be knocked out of balance by a huge influx of population, and I think it's really important to say that the people of Linton on Ooze have stated categorically, you can go on their website and read what they say, they're very reasonable, 
We are not against asylum seekers. We are not anti-refugee. We are not racists. And some people have been going to their village and protesting far right kind of Nazi sympathisers saying, you know, we're representing the people of Linton on Ouse and we don't want these people here. They're saying that is not us. You do not speak for us. So I think it has to be a matter of record that the people of Linton on Ouse are not the problem. They do not have an issue with asylum seekers. They're saying this was the wrong plan in the wrong place. And I think they're absolutely right. And I'm grateful and I'm pleased to see that um, common sense has prevailed and there's not going to be uh, a, a group of 1,500 people in a village of 600 because the, the kind of the, the social mechanics don't work. All those people would need to see a local GP, for example. Is there provision for that? No, probably not. All those people need all the other services that you would require as, as someone who is displaced, as someone who might be troubled by what you've undergone, who needs support with language, who needs support with working through the system. All that stuff wasn't really available in Linton on Ooze. Mm. And so the question is, how do we have a coherent plan such that we support asylum seekers, but also support local communities? So they do feel able to say, refugees are welcome here. We're not going to suffer. They're going to get a good, safe place to, to be, to work through that asylum claim, and the whole of our country benefits. And the thing is, the thing that really surprises me is that Priti Patel seems Teflon on this. She's been in post for ages. She has not got a handle on this. And yet, somehow, she manages to avoid when stories like this come up, when the stuff about the fact that people aren't having criminal records checks, people aren't having um, to hand over passports and things like that when they're being processed, that the fact that border forces are massively understaffed and undertrained and making human error mistakes because they're just overwhelmed, somehow... The book never reaches her and she never has to explain herself. And ah, that's the thing that I don't understand. She's got magic powers, that woman. Alex Dean? I think Marianne said it very well about the issue about concentration of that many people coming um, in one go to a small community. So I, I want to talk about why where the problem we're in. I think the debate in this country has been deliberately um, distorted by those people who think they are helping would-be asylum seekers and, and refugees. They Because they willfully and quite carefully um, move between desperation and preference and they deliberately conflate desperation and preference about where you want to be and they forever elide between those two things. So they'll say, look at these people, they're so desperate, look at the risks they take, they must be truly desperate, that must mean they're real, they've got to be allowed uh, to come to this country um, over the channel and so forth. And then you say, well, if they're so desperate, if they're seeking to avoid awfulness, why don't they apply for asylum in France? Mm. And the person will say, oh yes, but they want to be here. They prefer to be here. They've got different want languages, better job opportunities. It's all about preference. Oh, yes, but you said they were desperate. Yeah. And so on. Right? And as a result of that, and as a result of the completely misplaced kind of moral indignation taken by the people who take this argument and say, let them all in no matter how they've come, all trust in this country and the asylum system has broken down. 
I believe if local people... This, this example is ridiculous because sticking 1,500 people onto a village of <coughs> however many hundred it is is a bad idea per se. But if local people in Britain genuinely believe that the people seeking uh, help and seeking a place to come are, are asylum seekers, if they genuinely think those people have been in strife, then I believe they'd, be, they'd welcome those individuals in the same way we've always welcomed people uh, who are in genuine need. Yeah, Britain's like a, many people have done with Ukrainians, etc. Gener generous country, and, and we should do that, especially with people to whom we owe a debt, like the Afghans, who until recently were supporting our armed forces in their country and now safely, can't safely live there. But my point is, it's because of the efforts of those people trying to justify people coming, paying people smugglers, and coming across a continent to get here, thereby demonstrating that they, they by definition, don't need asylum here in the first place. It's their, um, it's their activity that means that people now are unwilling to accept this. Yeah, and I think as well one of the challenges here is that, you know, the primary responsibility of a country's government is to keep its citizens safe. And ultimately, Marianne, in many uh, circumstances, I would say actually the majority, you often don't really even know who these people are. They've discarded their paperwork, their IDs. There's a situation uh, near where I'm from. Uh, I would say it's pretty much Hull Cottingham, uh, which is a little village. They've put people up in uh, Thwaite Hall, which is like a former university resident thing. And already what you've had there is a situation where people that have been placed into that accommodation have not returned to it. And then that makes me question, well, hang on just a nanosecond, because to Alex's point, if you guys are so desperate and that you're apparently fleeing France because you fear for your safety in France, uh, then you are put into accommodation and help to claim asylum, why would you leave? Okay, so there are a couple of things. First is that under international law, you can claim asylum in any country. It doesn't need to be yeah. the nearest country wrong. from where you fled. That's why we should depart from that rule in international law. Well, world. then what you're saying is that there should be no Ukrainians here because there's plenty of countries no. between us and Ukraine. We, no, we should decide who comes here yeah. and the manner in which they come. You should be able to discriminate in the true meaning of the word, to choose an, uh, the, the cases of the people who come here and those who don't. And that used to be an uncontroversial political statement, uh, embraced by, as much by the left as, as by uh, the right. And the notion that, you know, a party is now going to embrace the idea that you should have no control, meaningful controls over your border and who comes here, I think is a bad electoral idea. I think that one of the jobs of a democratic government should be to uphold... Inter a democratic and fair uh, government should be to uphold international law. If we want to change international law, then you, let's have that you, conversation. We, and we should, and, and we are. let's go down that road. And we, and we are about the but European courts. I think courts. what you might end up with is if we turn not very many pages back in the history book and look at what happened in Nazi Germany and most of oh, Europe... for heaven's sake. Well, you say for heaven's sake, I but do. because where I'm going is that how many countries in Europe might have said, yes, you can flee Germany except no Jews? No blacks and no Irish, thanks It is very humane much. to give people... If that's because the position you take about France, it's very interesting, because it's humane to give people asylum or refugee status, but no person seeking to obtain asylum in the United Kingdom in, from France is a legit person seeking that legitimately. They are already in a safe nation. That is not true. Under international law, it's entirely And I've told legal. you, I think the law is There's wrong. There's no such... Which, and you but, can't but debate that's, beyond that's, it. You just, that's all you can say, isn't it? Well, because that's the basis upon which we build a democratic society. And why is it right? 
Because ah, of... everyone, the million dollar question and one that never really seems to get answered. Now, I could go around and around and around in this, but unfortunately, look at the time. Uh, it's flown by. That's all we have time for on Jubes & Co. Kevin says we should adopt the Australian approach. If you arrive here in this way, you should never be granted asylum. Linda said you asked Michelle where to house the asylums. What about the posh parts of London? Let all the rich people have a taste of what the less well-off communities have had to put up with for ages. Linda, you make a very good point. Uh, if we did that, I'd be uh, fascinated to see how quick the policies change. It wouldn't be long, would it? Thanks for listening to Jubes & Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.